0: It's another great day from the bridge. This is Rick Jones coming once again to you from the South Carolina Lowcountry. October is my very favorite month of the year. I like low humidity, warm days, and cool nights. The leaves are turning colors. College football is in full swing. And college basketball teams are in preseason practice. We're enjoying the last crabs of the season and the first oysters. Life is pretty good. We have an interesting show today all about nostalgia. Speaking of nostalgia, how many of you out there remember the great Stuckey stores? If you're of an age to remember tourist camps, Burma shave signs and two-lane blacktops or even gas lines, pentos and crackling AM radio, Chances are you remember the sprawling Stuckey's empire, a venerable roadside oasis and a highway heaven of souvenirs, cold drinks, hot snacks, and pecan candy, all marked by the pitched roof and teal blue shingles. Who could forget the pecan divinity, flavored pecans, or most of all the celebrated Stuckey's pecan log roll? a heavenly-inspired creation of Mrs. Ethel Stuckey herself. Based on a secret mix of powdered sugar, white molasses, and roasted nuts, that mouth-watering miracle of fluffy white sweetness covered in its own deep coating of crushed select pecans became the soul and spirit of the store and the number one reason for families to stop. Well, along with using the restrooms, gassing up their cars, and having a snack and a soft drink, of course. Soon after founding, however, Stuckey's became more than a pecan log roller. From the late 1930s to the early 70s, the blue-till roof was as famous then as the golden arches are today. Sadly, in the 1970s, the empire began to dwindle when Stuckey's was purchased by a large corporation and became trapped in a time warp. Of the 350-plus locations operating in our heyday, the number dropped to a handful of stores. But in 1984, William S. Billy Stuckey Jr., the son of the founder and a five-term congressman from the 8th District of Georgia, acquired the company, and began to turn the company around. Under Stuckey Jr.'s helm, the Stuckey's Express, or the store-within-a-store concept, was launched. And the company expanded to over 115 franchise locations on the interstate highways spanning 17 states from Pennsylvania to Florida, in the east, into Texas in the west. In November of 2019... Ethel Stephanie Stuckey, Billy's daughter, took over as president and CEO of Stuckey's. Stephanie aims to continue the legacy started by her grandparents of providing a fun and quality experience for the roadside traveler through our brick and mortar locations, as well as expanding markets for Stuckey's pecan products via e-commerce and other locations. Stephanie Stuckey is my guest today to tell you her plans to bring back the brand. Plus, we'll take another trip to the soapbox and a really great place to eat on the road with Rick. I recently produced a series on generational marketing that you can find on YouTube if you're interested. One of the five generations in the marketplace today is my generation, known broadly as the baby boomers. Many of you may know us today as the OK boomer put down, but that's OK with us, too. Our generation is not perfect, but then again, neither are any others. You know, many marketers no longer try to reach baby boomers. I think they think we're dead. In fact, there was a fun ad campaign a few years ago from AARP. It had a couple laying down together, and it looked like um, they were on a lounge chairs uh, holding hands, and then you realize, no, they were actually on a gurney uh, in a morgue, and they had their toes already tagged as if they were dead, and I think a lot of marketers really do believe baby boomers are dead, but studies show that my generation still controls about 80% of the wealth in America, and that makes us a pretty good audience to reach. Baby boomers respond to nostalgia. When Classic Sports Television became ESPN Classic Sports, they ran an ad campaign called Remember. The tagline went Remember when the games were great, ba, 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 ba. Well, they're all true. I've told you in the past about uh, Trisha Yearwood recording a song called The Song Remembers When. This is a song about riding down the road, and you hear a song, and it can immediately take you back to where you were. It can make you laugh. It can make you cry. It can make you ache. Um, It's it's amazing how songs do that. Uh, Nostalgia works the same way for baby boomers. We remember the rock and roll songs we grew up with, the athletes we worshipped, the TV programs we watched. Several years ago, I worked on a program called the Sears Directors' Cup, which is now the Learfield Cup, that recognizes the top athletic program in the country. And, um, you know, unfortunately or fortunately for Stanford, they seem to win it every year because they win so many spring sports championships. But one year I had a chance to go out to Stanford to actually make the presentation of the trophy on the field at a football game. And at that time, I was working on an advertising campaign for NCAA football. NCAA football was a new brand. It was a pennant that would go on the uniform and have the NCAA mark and could be customized for like an SEC mark or an ACC mark. Well, I was really struggling with how do you differentiate college football from pro football? I was really, really, really struggling. And when I went out to Stanford, I saw about a— 75-year-old man dressed in, you know, a red windbreaker and a red hat and red pants. <laughs> um, go Cardinal. And um, I watched him look at his 68-year-old wife like she was 19. And then I realized while well, we come back to college, we come back to college to be forever young. And so I created a campaign centered around forever young. You know, Peyton Manning will always be young as a Tennessee volunteer, even though he grew old in the NFL. Forever young. That's what I still feel like, as do many of my generation. Jimmy Bruffett, another baby boomer, wrote a fun song called I'm Growing Older But Not Up. Anyway, I know this, 70 is the new 40. If you don't believe it, just ask a boomer. Speaking of nostalgia, I can still remember road trips throughout the South where we'd stop at a Stuckey store. I went to Georgia Southern College, now Georgia Southern University, based there in Statesboro, Georgia. And I'd drive past the Eastman, Georgia exit each time I went there. Eastman is the hometown of Stuckey's. Today we welcome the next generation of Stuckey to take the helm of the company, Stephanie Stuckey. Let's welcome Stephanie to the bridge. Stephanie, glad to have you with us today.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
0: Well, I'm of that age. Unfortunately, I'm that baby boomer guy that uh, remembers Stuckey very, Stucky's very fondly. Um, I've, I've actually been to Eastman. Uh, I went to Georgia Southern, and I can remember all the times that traveling down I-16 and um, seeing the, the Eastman exit. Uh, And recently, my wife and I actually went to Walterboro, South Carolina, to one of your stores just to get a pecan roll.
1: (laughs) I will be there later this week. I'm road tripping and hitting all of our South Carolina locations.
0: Well, when you, you know, for us of a certain generation, when you hear the name Stucky's, it, it brings a smile to your face. I mean, you remember, yeah. you remember road trips. You remember that, you know, you stopped at a clean bathroom that, that made mom really happy. And, and dad filled up the car with gas, which made dad happy. But for us kids, it was all the great candies that you had there that we were always able to go out and pick something out.
1: You know, I was listening to some of your podcasts over the weekend and one of the things that really stuck with me and I even wrote it down and I know it's very basic but I think it's important to remind yourself of the basics when you're running a business and that was that a brand is a promise right and you really have to hone in on that if you are running a company or if you're involved in any aspect of the company what is your brand promise and you hit on a lot of the things that Ducky's promises. It's going to be a comfort stop. It's going to be a stop where you can relax, refresh, and refuel. That was my grandfather's slogan. You know you're going to find certain strong, consistent standards that are being met when you pull over uh, or with any any good brand. Uh, And I will push back a little bit on the of a certain age because what's really been fun about my new career that I didn't expect running Stuckies, is how many people who are millennials tell me they love Stuckies. I, I wasn't expecting that like you. I just assumed it was everyone who was a baby boomer. And by the way, I'm a Gen X. We're the forgotten generation. So Gen Xers definitely were around and road tripping when Stuckies was more in its heyday. But a lot of millennials. I talked to a guy this weekend who said my mother loves Stuckey, so it's usually an association with their parents, but it's a good association.
0: Well, I have millennial children, and and they know all the music of my generation. We laugh right. about that. You know, somebody'll say to Ryan, yeah. you know, well, how do you know that song? He goes, because my dad played it over and over and over again, and and of course I know that. So I think there is some multigenerational stuff. But I want to I want to mm-hmm. start here. You know, you. Your grandfather started this, your dad was involved with the business, but not yes. you. So tell me about you. What were you doing before you decided to bring the, you know, take over and help bring the brand back?
1: Yes, I had a whole career independent of Stuckey's. I'm 50-ish, I like to say. I am actually, I was the same age as Ray Kroc when he started McDonald's, when I took over the reins of Stuckey's, So... That gave me a little confidence to know you can do a bit of a pivot in your life trajectory and hopefully find success. We are, we're trending in the right direction. I feel like Stuckey's is on the right path. But my career was law. I, I'm an attorney, went to the University of Georgia, undergrad in law school, and huge fan of state schools. My mom went to Georgia Southern. And some of the best people I know went to community colleges and went to state schools and You can get, my mom and I were just talking today how you can get a good education everywhere, anywhere. You just have to apply yourself and have grit. But I digress. Uh, I was an attorney. I worked in the Georgia prison system. I was a public defender. I ran for office and was elected to seven terms, 14 years in the Georgia legislature, representing a district in the Atlanta area. And then I found myself really passionate about environmental issues and that's what I focused most of my legislative work on. So I transitioned I left politics the best way you can. I did not seek re-election and I ran an environmental nonprofit law firm for over 3 years and represented Riverkeepers and Sierra Club and helped clean air, get clean air and clean water and clean land. Our motto was or our slogan was we give Georgia's environment its day in court. And then I got an amazing opportunity to be head of sustainability for City of Atlanta. And I did that for over three years and uh, was working as an environmental sustainability consultant and an adjunct law professor at the University of Georgia when my dad's former partners asked me if I wanted to take over Stucky's. I guess the lesson I want to bring to people listening to this is be open to changing careers when there's an incredible opportunity that comes your way. I never thought I'd be sustainability director for a city or that I'd run an environmental law firm, but the opportunities presented themselves. And you just have to look at your life's experiences. And I think the skill sets you need for some of these career changes aren't always what you would expect. You can learn a lot of the actual details of these jobs if you have emotional intelligence, if you know how to organize and motivate people. If you have good business sense, a lot of these skills are transferable. So I, I would definitely encourage folks to consider when one career opportunity presents itself that's different from what you've been doing to to really consider taking that leap.
0: I remember um, when I first got married, we lived in Druid Hills in Atlanta, and and we went to mm-hmm. we went to a Methodist church that we affectionately referred to as the church for the newly wed or the nearly dead um, <clears throat> it was a lot of blue hairs there from that uh from that neighborhood and I remember doing the stewardship uh the lay sermon and I I said, uh, for those out there that think God's through with you, I have a test that I made them hold up two fingers and then touch their carotid artery and say, if you still feel a pulse, God's not finished with you. And so, you know, you can pivot, I think, at any time. And I think it's interesting that you brought up Ray Kroc because, you know, the great success that McDonald's had was under his leadership um, late in life. Uh, and, And you're now in the same place. But I think you have to start with passion and you have to start with an understanding of the brand. And the fact that you grew up in the Stuckey family gives you, I think, a unique perspective on the DNA of the brand. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I am the brand, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> no place to hide. I have a,
1: yeah, I have a, a branding expert who consults with me and we look at analytics on the different posts that I put out there on the different social media forums and consistently the ones that perform the highest are the ones with photos of me and photos of my grandfather telling our personal stories. And it is our name up there on the billboard. I think it's important to highlight what your strengths are. I'm, I'm a big fan of the strength finder book. If yeah, you've read that and yeah, absolutely. I've taken that test like oh, yeah. three times. Absolutely. Every time my strengths are the same. So I think it is, it's, it's consistently given me some good feedback throughout the years of my different career opportunities, but you go with what your strength is. Stucky's strength is we are a family business and we have a good story to tell about our family. And I think that's something now more than ever that people are connecting with. Our country is hurting. The economy's hurting. There's a pandemic. There's all sorts of political uncertainty. There's racial and social unrest, and people are really looking for some things to make them feel positive. And so, the more I can bring that passion to the table with how I present the brand and have it be authentic, which it really is, uh, I think people people identify with that and the fact that we're real people behind our brand. I was talking with a friend just yesterday about how so many of my favorite brands have fallen out of family hands, and they're now owned by big corporations, and they're—it's just not the same. It loses something. No, they mess and, it
0: up. They don't understand yeah. the DNA. It's almost like all the things that you created—they go, nah, we don't want to do that. Uh, well, it's all
1: about profit. <laughs> yeah, it's all about profit, and and I think too often the. Wall Street types, I don't mean to put them all in a bucket, but I am just for purposes of this conversation. They just look at the bottom line. They look at the numbers and they don't realize that what people are buying into is the brand and the story and that emotional connection that they feel. They're not necessarily buying it because it's the absolute best product there is. Now, of course, I want to say that our pecan log rolls and our candy and our nuts are the best, but it's more than that. I don't necessarily think Nike is the best shoe ever made, but I buy Nike because I love their brand ethos. So I buy Tide detergent because my mother bought Tide detergent and enjoyed dishwashing liquid because that was my mother's favorite, it still is. My mom's still around, (laughs) but there's a connection there. And that's something that too often is lost sight of. Stuckey's is so lucky in that we fell out of family hands for decades. We were run by a corporation, and we saw what happened to the brand. It suffered. We lost hundreds of stores. It was trashed, really. I would go to our stores when during those dark ages of Stuckey's, and I I remember just almost being in tears seeing how badly the stores were run without a Stuckey at the helm. And that's that's what happens quite often. When these classic brands, nostalgic brands fall out of family hands and get run by corporations that don't understand and connect with what made it special. And that's why I feel so passionate about taking it back.
0: Well, it needs to be, you know, my
1: dad got it back and then my dad retired for a decade and And kind of left it on autopilot. And now I'm taking it back and pumping new life into it.
0: I, 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 this is a generalization too you mentioned about Wall Street but I, I've always believed that short-term greed is usually always bad and long-term yes. greed is usually always good and and when you look at everything <laughs> around when you look at everything in a quarterly you know me- mechanism you know what did the share price do in this quarter to run your business I, I think I think you lose sight of of the business you know as a whole you know and it's interesting I, I'm also a big believer that you know, only profitable businesses uh, can give back and can serve communities. Um, your family had a great ethos, and, and maybe it came directly from your grandfather's value system, but your family was known, and Stucky's was known, for first and foremost community service, political service, um, charitable service. Um, you know, y- your family built a business and then from the success of the business said, I, I think we have something to give back, uh, politically and and community wise. Not only your dad, but you, um, well,
1: and my grandfather, my grandfather served in the state house.
0: Yeah. So my father yeah. was in
1: Congress and then I, I was a state rep and I got to serve with some uh, state representatives, some legislators who served with my grandfather.
0: Wow.
1: Wow. Yeah, like Speaker Tom Murphy was a freshman when my grandfather was a freshman. They were freshman reps together. And Speaker Tom Murphy was the longest serving speaker of any legislature in the U.S. And he was speaker of the Georgia legislature for decades. He was an institution. And I was so fortunate to have served under him and learned from him. So, yeah, we've all... All been in politics and public service, and gotten out of it too. I think we all had shared the idea that public service should not be a career; it should be something you do for a certain period of time, and then you step aside. When you make it a career, this is just my belief, but well, I, I believe this too. Say it loud, and proud, darling. Yeah, <laughs> is that it, once you make it a career, you get so beholden to being reelected, and that is your identity. And I. With people like that. They had no identity or sense of self or place of being unless they w- had that title in front of their name. And I was perfectly okay walking away from that title because it's not about you, it's about the work you want to do. And I felt like I was no longer effective when I was a legislator because I, I was no longer in the majority party, which I think is so unfortunate. I think minority voices should be lifted up more in politics and there should be more consensus building and moderation. There's, there's so little of that today. That's a whole other show.
0: Well, Uh, it's interesting. I I tell everybody uh, I'm a, I'm an Eisenhower Republican and somebody said, what does that mean? I said, both parties wanted to nominate him in 1952. That's how, yeah, yeah. that's That's how close we were at the time.
1: That's beautiful. Well, my political consultant for the entire time I was in office is a Republican. Yeah. I was one of his few Democratic clients. And for me, it wasn't about partisanship. It was about connections. He and I went to University of Georgia together. We used to debate each other and debate club. And I was on the liberal side. He was on the conservative side. And afterwards, we'd go out for beers and we'd find commonality. And we're losing that in this country right now, more than ever. And I have lots of family members who are supporting Biden and Trump, and I love them all. And, you know, I'll be glad when we're past that. Um, I did want to go back to something you said, though, because uh, I've heard it in previous shows, only profitable, profitable businesses can actually get back. And I agree with that to a certain extent. But right now, Stuckey's is on the comeback, we are trending in the right direction. Honestly, when I took on the company, we were not profitable. We are now profitable. But we're not profitable to the point where we can be super philanthropic and sponsoring scholarships and starting a foundation. We're not there yet.
0: Yeah, but you're I hiring people. to that. But you hire people. And that, in my opinion, right we, now, job have, creation is very, very important in America We right
1: have now. not fired anyone,
0: yeah, That's right. what I'll yeah, say. That's and right. I'm
1: hiring consultants. Yeah. I'm being... I'm I'm being yeah. very uh, cautious and conservative in our approach to bringing on uh, support for Stuckies, And right now, most of the additional support is going to be through consultants mm-hmm. instead of full-time hires. And I think the future of work is largely entrepreneur. So getting to the point of how we are giving back, I think there are ways to give back short of actually – having a foundation and that is hiring entrepreneurs. I am trying to be very thoughtful in the vendors that we choose, we manufacture all sorts of merchandise with Stucky's logos on them. We, I mean, we don't manufacture that in-house, we outsource it. And so I started in this job when I was reaching out to vendors and asking them the typical, what's your price sheet? What's your landed cost? What's your FOB? You know, what's the minimum order quantity and getting all those basics related to the pricing and the financials. And now I've started asking, what's your story? What's the history of your company? Are you a family business? Are you a startup or do you hire minorities? Do you give people a leg up? Do you have veterans? Do you have disabled staff? You know? So that's a way I can get back and support other businesses that are aligned with our culture and our, values without necessarily cutting a check. And I think that has so much more meaning than some of these posts that you see by corporations like, you know, we're, you know, we're giving back to the community. We, we're doing, you know, this one check, we're one off check. And not that that doesn't have value, but I would like to see part of how we do business at Stuckey's is supporting other small businesses, supporting other family businesses, supporting American businesses where we can have jobs that we're spurring in these small communities across this country that are really suffering right now. So that's what I'm working on. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard to find American-made products. It
0: it really is, (laughs) especially in apparel and and, you know, we 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 do a lot of work in college sports, and there's a thing called the yeah. uh, uh, the the Fair Labor Association that really tries to make sure that everything that's sold on a college campus was produced in a in an appropriate way, and no sweatshops and all this kind of stuff. I I do believe that um, the pandemic uh, has woken. Up a number of Americans on both sides of the aisle, the fact that we do need to bring some manufacturing back. My mother, my my late mother would would say late in life she was a she was a, a, an Augusta Georgia girl, but a, her family was from South Carolina. and She would ask me, "Are the mills going to ever come back?" And and of course, yeah. I, I would say, "No, Mama." Then mills are never going to come back. Well, I don't know now. I, I I don't know. I mean, there's an infrastructure in South Carolina of. Uh, the ability to maybe bring back some manufacturing to our state uh, and small businesses being able to do that in smaller batches. And and who knows what kind of uh, thing's going to happen. I have noticed, though, historically, and again, this is a little bit of a generalization, but I have noticed that in many cases, the third generation of family-owned businesses sometimes either mess it up or, <laughs> or 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 they they sell it off. They you know, it's like that's yeah. that's the one that they cash out. I find it a little bit ironic that you have come back as the third generation to restore the integrity of the brand. Talk about that a little bit. I
1: think what makes makes Stucky's unique is that it did fall out of family hands. That was a bit of a throwing cold water slap in the face moment for us. Well, more than a moment, it was decades in the trajectory of the Stucky's history. So that, that really makes me passionate about wanting to turn this company around. I also think being older brings maturity. And I talked earlier about emotional intelligence. And uh, one one of the people I'm reading a lot of right now is Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha. And he talks about emotional intelligence. He talks about those. He looks at companies that have corporate leadership that have emotional intelligence. And he invests for the long term. He's not looking at quick returns. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned reading Warren Buffett in many ways, uh, and I know you're a big Jimmy Buffett fan. Uh, he and Jimmy Buffett are friends,
0: which I think is yeah, very they cool. are. I think that's kind of cool too. You know, and I think when you go see Warren Buffett in Omaha, he he takes people that come to see him out for a milkshake, which I I really like. I mean, that's just kind of yeah. signature thing. We're going to sit in a diner and we're going to share a milkshake, and I'm going to share wisdom. And I think the milkshake says something about his character. And, and, and the fact that we're in this for the long haul, um, you know, when he buys companies, he buys into management. He, he doesn't buy sick companies. He buys healthy companies yes. that he feels like he can take great management and scale it and make it even bigger and better versus the classic corporate raiders, you know, that buy what, they, what I call sick businesses, prop them up enough to spin them off. And really, there's no long-term value there. Um, like I said, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a believer in long-term value.
1: Yeah, you talked about management, and actually, a, a quote from Buffett is what helped inspire, you know, convince me I should take on this crazy journey of running my family's business. And that is, he looked at com- he looks at companies in part that really haven't had strong management, but are still. Making it, right and when i when I took on Stuckey's, we had not been profitable in a few years, but we were still around. <laughs> we never went bankrupt. Uh, we've always managed to keep the lights on and and pay our bills and continue operations and the fact that that was accomplished in spite of the fact that for the past decade Stuckeys really hasn't had a management team. We haven't had a CEO. My father and his team retired, and they left a, a skeleton crew running the company. God bless them. They're they're still on board. They're still a critical part of our team, but it's a great brand, and, and that's what has given me hope that we can turn things around. Uh, but, but to your point about the third generation, I think what distinguishes where I am with Stuckies is that I didn't grow up with the, the company being in family hands. We fell out of family hands the year before I was born. Uh, so I did grow up knowing my grandfather, but I never had that sense of, well, someday I'm going to have this company because it wasn't in the family anymore. Yeah, right? so there
0: was no entitlement at, at all yes, there. there yeah, not
1: only that, I'm number four of five kids. I'm number five of seven grandchildren. And frankly, I'm the girl. And I was never considered the heir apparent. So I was there was zero sense of entitlement on my part. And this was just an unexpected, amazing opportunity that came my way and and I grabbed it.
0: What one thing have you learned that you didn't expect when you got into this?
1: Well, the ability to adapt quickly to changing circumstances. I never thought we would have a pandemic, right? Nobody does. And I, I think having to really quickly pivot was something that I did not anticipate right out of the gate. And literally i took took on the company in November, and a few months later, the pandemic hit. And what, what we've had to very quickly learn, and we're putting this in place, and I think all businesses are learning to do this or else they are not going to survive what's happening with our economy right now, and that is diversified. Mm-hmm. You can't have all of your revenue streams from one source. So I quickly realized we, we've got to up our online gain, and our online sales increased fivefold within a matter of months. Not just because organically people are shopping more online, but because we completely revamped our website. We started offering more product selection. We started doing Google ads. We got ourselves on Amazon, which took a couple months because we were unfortunately on probation with Amazon from something that happened years ago. So we we upped our online game. There's not. I can't talk about this a whole lot just yet. This is a little premature, but we are uh, we're very close to having manufacturing capacity in house with Stuckey. So we're adding a whole new business line. Uh, we are soon to be expanding into the fundraising business. So we're putting the pieces in place to have more diversified revenue streams. It's funny and, when you mentioned
0: that. When you mentioned yeah. that, I at one point when we were talking earlier today. I thought about Krispy Kreme and how Krispy Kreme traditionally has gotten into the fundraising business where they'll, yeah. you know, they'll hand a dozen donuts to a church group or school group, and then they can mark it up and make and make money. And I've, I've always thought your product lended itself to that in a big, big way. Because, again, it's like Girl Scout cookies. it's It, it creates a smile. It creates, yeah. you know, a, a small piece of joy. Uh, I will say this, Stephanie. I, I think... I think coming out of COVID, there's some positive trends that are going to really help your brand. I I think we got back to what I call wanting comfort. We got back to, you know, well, I mean, we saw yeast. You know, nobody can buy yeast because everybody's making bread. You know, everybody's, you know, my wife always talked about the freshman 15, you know, the 15 pounds that girls gain. She said this COVID-15 is the one that killed us. Uh, You know, you start making casseroles again with the, but but I think, I think old brands came back, you know, craft came back, uh, you know, just, just comfort. But the second trend I'm seeing is people want to be back out. They want to get back out on traditional road trips. We're seeing great growth in RVs. We're seeing, you know, park attendance go up. We're seeing picnics go up like crazy. I can't tell you how many times I've been driving around and seeing, you know, families outside in a in a roadside park someplace having a picnic. And 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 so that combination of I wanna be out, I wanna have these little short jaunts of joy lends itself to and I'm gonna pull in the stuckies. I, I really do believe there's some trends there that are gonna help you.
1: Dots of joy, that's terrific. I, I I might steal that for a social media. Post. That'd be great. That's really no really <laughs> good. Yeah, the road trip is back. And in many ways, Stuckies is synonymous with the history of the Great American Road Trip. We peaked in the 1970s. And even though Stuckies had fallen out of Stuckey family hands at that point officially, the and the first company that bought Stuckies. My grandfather remained president of the Stuckey's division for a good decade. So really that whole era of getting in the family Woody station wagon. And since I was number four or five, I was stuck in the way back without seatbelts with where the air conditioning usually didn't get all the way back there. So it was a very sweaty ride. But I absolutely loved being in that back. And you play card car games and you would get the trucks to honk. And we had a CB radio and we would all try to get on there and pretend we were truckers. Like that whole culture and era, that's when Stuckey's was at its peak. So we're part of the, the road trip. And then when the road trip lagged and declined, that's when we lagged and declined. In the, in the late 70s, there was the oil embargo. There was the Airline Deregulation Act. So car trips got expensive. Plane trips got cheap and it wasn't about the journey anymore it's about the destination nobody talks with weepy teary eyes and getting sentimental about some plane trip they took or maybe they do but it's i haven't heard them people talk about their car trips right and you can't pull over when you're flying 30,000 40,000 feet up in the air and go visit a petting zoo or some guy who built a UFO welcome center in his cotton patch, which I'm going to visit this coming week, by the way. That's what makes this country great. And that's what makes vacations fun, in my opinion. And so we we want to bring that back. I'm excited. RV sales are 40 percent up and people are stopping more along the way. And we're going to be part of that.
0: Well, I think you are. <clears throat> I think you got a tremendous opportunity at the right time, the right leadership, the right ideas. Um, this intersection of nostalgia and the practicality in a COVID world of let's get in a car that we control, let's go to places that are clean, let's be outdoors and have picnics, let's for sure share a big old pecan roll. Um, that, that's a pretty. That's a pretty good life. Um, Stephanie, before we run, um, one more thing. What What? One more words of wisdom do you have for our audience?
1: For your listeners only, we will create a landing page, and you can put it up on your podcast notes and on your website, and your listeners can sign up. I'll have it up for the month of October, and they can sign up, and then at the end of the month, I'll just randomly select a winner, and you will get a Stuckey's Retro Cap, and I can – send you a, a picture of it. The cool thing about it, we, we've gone back to our original logo and the original logo is how my grandfather signed his name. It's, it's really beautiful.
0: That's very, very cool. Well, I know our listeners will appreciate it. And again, we thank you for being with us today from the bridge. Thank you. Staying with the theme of Baby Boomers and Nostalgia... Let's get back up on the soapbox. For Southern males of a certain generation, beach music has always been a part of our lives. It's that old rhythm blues soundtrack of our past that reminds us of good times and cold draft beer at some breezy dance hall on a nameless beach somewhere in North or South Carolina. One of the great beach music bands of the 1950s and 60s were the mighty Tams from Atlanta, Georgia. They closed every concert with their standard ode to life, be young, be foolish, be happy. Well, that old place where you used to dance is closed down and the band has stopped playing. But those words linger forever. Decades later, it's still a great way to think about life, to live life. So may your beers always be cold May your date always be good-looking. May the song linger forever and ever. And may you always be young, foolish, and happy. And that's the soapbox. Let's get back on the road with Rick. I told you last week that we actually had a chance to get back on the road last month with a week's trip to the Outer Banks. We stayed a couple of nights on Ocracroak Island. You have to take a a two-and-a-half-hour ferry to get to Ocracroak. But while we were there, we ate at an amazing restaurant, Dajio. This place absolutely rocks. All local seafood and farm-to-table dishes prepared just right. In fact, many of the vegetables, they grow right there in the backyard of the restaurant. I had a terrific fish chowder, and Charlotte had a salad with a cilantro vinaigrette, and then we shared a grilled cobia with a veracruz sauce and saffron rice. It was one of the best dishes I've ever had. They also have char-grilled local oysters, crab cakes, crab mac and cheese, and shrimp and grits, among other dishes. If you find yourselves in the Outer Bank of North Carolina, take the 45-minute ferry from Hatteras over to Ocracroak to eat at Dejio. You won't regret it. That's our show down memory lane today. Thanks for being with us from the bridge.